morning, everybody. Somebody say amen after that special. I've got Jesus. How could I want more? Hey, one welcome everybody who's joining us online today, wherever you might be. It's always a great joy to greet you into our service. Grab a Bible this morning and go to the book of 2 Corinthians in your New Testaments. 2 Corinthians. When you find 2 Corinthians, find chapter 8, and uh, we'll talk about that in just a minute. This is the fourth and final week of this special sermon series called Right on the Money. Once every year, we take the time to talk about money here at Mount Pleasant, to be specific, the, the management, the stewardship, the handling of the monies that God has entrusted to us. I've been a pastor in the local church for a long time, and because of that and because of my age, from time to time, someone will ask me, how much longer do you plan on doing this? I'm always a little suspicious for the motivation behind that question. How much longer do you plan on keep doing this? But the honest answer is I'm just not really sure. That's my most honest answer. There was a time when I had a really clear plan in my mind with regard to the future for Sandy and me. Um, But there are two things that I always think about now when it comes to that plan. The first one is I've known for many, many years, since I was just a teenager, I've known that God has a calling on my life, and it's hard to walk away from a calling. The second thing that comes to my mind is this truth. I have never felt more equipped to be a pastor than I do today because I've been doing this for so long. And it's not just the years of ministry experience, as important as those are. It's also the years of just life experience. I began in full-time Christian ministry when I was not quite 22 years old. And so over the course of many, many years, I've learned a lot about being in ministry, and I've learned a lot about just experiencing life. And I think of the value of that life experience every time we come to this uh, part of our preaching calendar and we talk about money, because I've learned a lot over the years just about simply handling and managing money. And one of the strongest convictions I have in my life is that anyone, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you do for a living, I don't care whether you have a little or a lot, anyone can experience financial peace and financial freedom in their life. I believe that with all my heart. I began in ministry during a time when I don't think most churches and most church leaders gave a whole lot of thought to the financial needs of their pastors. I may have told you this story before, but my very first church many, many years ago in Houston, Texas, um, we had an elder in our church, and every time we would come to the budget, he would uh, put a hand in my shoulder. He'd, st- he'd find me some at a meeting or a church, and he'd put a hand on my shoulder, and he'd always say the same thing to me. He said, we believe that every good preacher should be humble and poor. We'll let you be in charge of being humble, and we'll be in charge of keeping you poor. <laughs> and he meant it. He meant that. I remember when I moved from that church to my second church, which was uh, in uh, my hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma, I went to meet with the elders for an interview for that church. They had contacted me, and I was going to be not far from Tulsa for a preaching engagement, and so I drove over, and I met with them on a Wednesday night. And so in this very first meeting, we were sitting in this room in the church, and one of the elders, I mean, this is the weirdest thing to say in a setting like that. Unless you're a preacher, you know the motivation behind it. But he found a way to say, I've never made more than $25,000 in my life. Now, I knew that he had a reason for saying that, and I knew that wasn't going to work in my favor in the long term. And so all that to say, all that to reiterate the fact that over the years, 
And I have no complaints at all about all my time in ministry. God has been so good to me and blessed me and my family beyond anything that I could even share. But I'm all that to say that over the years, I have been forced to learn a lot about handling and managing money. From a very pragmatic standpoint, I've learned a lot about money. And I want you to know I've had all the same experiences in life that you have. I've gotten married. I've had children. I've become a grandfather. I've paid for the lessons for my children, whether it's music lessons or sports lessons. I've paid for all their extracurricular activities and all their trips. I've experienced the unexpected expenses related to being a homeowner and having cars break down and just living life. I've taken my family on vacation. I've... uh, Uh, sent my children to college. I've financially supported one of my parents. I've had significant medical expenses in my life as a result of a life-threatening disease. So when I talk to you about money, I'm talking to you from a position of experience. And I'm going to say this again. I believe with all my heart that it's possible for anyone to experience financial peace and financial freedom in their life, regardless of what you do for a living and regardless of whether you have a little or a lot. But I'm going to add this caveat. I've said that for the second time. Now I'm going to add this caveat. I believe it's possible for anyone to experience financial peace and financial freedom in their life, but not apart from these three things. Number one, thoughtful planning. You have to manage whatever amount of of money God has entrusted to you with a plan. Again, whether it's a little or a lot, we've talked about that several times over the past three weeks. Proverbs 14.8 is just one of the verses we've looked at. The proverb writer says, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. The wisdom of the prudent or the wise man is to give thought to his ways. God wants us to be thoughtful about every single part of our lives, including the way we handle whatever wealth he's entrusted to us. The second thing is this, you can have financial peace and financial freedom in your life, but not apart from understanding the value of contentment, the value of contentment, the value of being able to say in your life at some point enough when it comes to the things of this world. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, he said, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, I know that a lot of people hear that verse and they say, well, I don't want to have a content with just food and clothing lifestyle. And I don't really think that's what God is saying in the long run. I think when you understand that in the context of 1 Timothy chapter 6, the bigger point that God is making is this. Listen, the things of this world are temporary. They are passing away. Nothing in this world is going to last forever. And we don't need to get bogged down with the things of the world. And then the third thing is this, I believe anybody can experience financial peace and financial freedom in their life, but not apart from a commitment to generosity. Because here's how God's, here's how economics work in God's kingdom. Proverbs 11.25 says, a generous man will prosper, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Now, God's economy doesn't make any sense on a worldly standpoint, because we don't think of, of getting ahead by giving something away But that's exactly what God teaches us over and over again in the Scriptures. And it's that last thing, that commitment to generosity, that I'm going to spend a few minutes talking to you about one final time. And I'm just going to be real straightforward this morning. Listen, this is not going to be the most memorable sermon that you ever hear. You probably won't even remember it a week from now. But my plan is just to be real simple and real straightforward and real basic. I'm going to tell you that we need for the members and the long-time attenders of this church to make a commitment to generosity. 
And we need you to make that commitment for many different reasons, but the most important one is to continue to fund the ministry that makes an impact on the world today, both locally and globally. And so I need you to make a commitment to generosity. Now, I thought that uh, about one way that we could possibly try to fund uh, this commitment to generosity in the church that's a little bit outside the box, I thought, well, maybe what we would do when we came to church is we'd have a point in the service where I just ask everybody to get out their wallet and exchange their wallet with somebody, okay? So like I could go over here to my good friend Brian, for example, and I could say, give me your wallet. I'll give you mine. Oh, that's a cool one. I can keep the phone too. Go ahead and look in mine if you want to. All right, now... Having looked in Brian's wallet, I'm feeling more generous than I have ever felt before in my entire life. (laughs) So, I tell you what, let's just forget the message and ushers, go ahead and grab the offering bags right now. And we're going to take up the offering. Well, I thought, you know, that might be one way to do it. But I'm not sure, okay, you want to keep that? I'm not sure that would build a long-lasting culture of generosity here at Mount Pleasant because you'd just stop bringing your wallets to church. That's what you would do. And so instead of that, I'm just, as I said, going to be real honest and straightforward with you this morning. You probably noticed the commitment card in your bulletin today. If you're a first-time guest with us this morning or you're somebody who's been a guest for a few weeks and you're still trying to figure out what we're about, I want you to know that you don't need to worry about this commitment card. This is not for you. This commitment card is for people who are members or longtime attenders here at Mount Pleasant. If you're a guest, I'm glad you're here, and I want you to know I believe you're here for a reason. So I want you to listen to what I'm going to share, because I'm sure God has something in that for you. Uh, I don't believe that any of us are here right now at this moment by accident. But this message and this challenge, this commitment challenge, is for the members and the longtime attenders here at Mount Pleasant. I'm just going to real quickly, I'm going to try to do it real quickly, I'm going to give you five challenges regarding uh, generosity, regarding giving. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down and we'll try to work our way through them. The first one is this. The first challenge is I want you to be willing to accept the challenge to give as a matter of priority. That's number one. Give as a matter of priority. You got your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We always make the public reading of Scripture a part of our service But we don't just have one passage today. We've got several we're going to look at. So we'll start with this one, and we'll go ahead and stand together and read this together as our public reading of Scripture like we always do. If you're a guest, we do this every week. Uh, We make the public reading of Scripture a significant part of our service. Let me just tell you before we read that this is that passage of Scripture where Paul is talking about how the Macedonian churches gave sacrificially in an offering that was designated for the church in Jerusalem that was experiencing severe financial hardship. And the Apostle Paul is writing about that sacrificial giving here when we begin in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 8. This is what he says, "'For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints.'" And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of His Word. Now, let's focus our attention for just a minute on verse 5 as he talks about this offering, this sacrificial offering, this sacrificial giving from these believers. He says in verse 5, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first, everyone say first, first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Now, that word first there is simply a reference to priority. So, Paul is saying 
that since the first priority of these believers was the Lord, they were willing to give sacrificially to help their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. And here's how we need to understand that, friends. When you surrender your life to Christ, you surrender every part of your life. And the natural implication of that is you begin to live every part of your life with new priorities, and that certainly includes your finances. I'm sure that almost all of us here this morning are familiar with the story of Zacchaeus. It's found in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. The Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was a tax collector, but what was different about him was he was a Jewish man who was a tax collector, and so he had basically... from the perspective of the other Jews, sold his soul to the government of Rome to be in this position to be able to, to collect taxes and extort money from his, his kinsmen, his fellow Jews. And so he was hated and despised. Tax collectors were hated and despised. You know that. In fact, they were so despicable that they really kind of had their own category of, of, of sinfulness. Because how many times do you read in the gospel stories about Jesus being with tax collectors and sinners? Tax collectors were so bad, they didn't even fall under the general umbrella of sinners. They were outside of that. They were so bad. And so he was hated by everyone. Well, Jesus was coming to town, and Zacchaeus wanted to see him. You know the story. He is a short man. He couldn't see over the crowd, so he climbed up in a tree. Jesus uh, pointed to him in the tree and said, come down because I'm going to your house. And Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house to have a meal with him, not just with Zacchaeus, but with other sinners and other tax collectors, and people began to be critical. People on the outside looking in began to criticize Jesus for what he was doing. In verse 7, they criticized him by saying, look, he has gone to be a guest of sinners. Well, listen to what happens next. This is Luke 19 and verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, or excuse me, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus responded to that statement in verse 9 by saying that today salvation has come to Zacchaeus. Now, how are we to understand that? Well, here's what happened. Zacchaeus' willingness to give away half of his wealth and make restitution to people he had cheated was proof that his heart had been completely changed as a result of his encounter with Jesus. He went from being a man man who loved money so much that he cheated people to get it to a man who was willing to give it away because the priorities of his life had changed. That encounter with Jesus changed the priorities of his life. You see, when Christ becomes the priority of your life, he becomes the priority of every part of your life, including your finances. We had a great discussion in our home group this last week. I hope you're in a home group because it's a great, great experience uh, when you're a part of a church like Mount Pleasant. We, had a great, we have our home group on Monday nights, and we had a great experience in our home group this past week. We were doing a follow-up uh, lesson slash discussion on the weekend message, and which, which had a lot to do with the giving and a lot to do with tithing in particular. And one of the couples in my home group was talking about how when they got paid, they both work, uh, and when they get paid, the very first thing they do is they sit down and they write out a check to the church. That's the first thing they do. They write out a tithe check to the church because that was their first financial priority. And they said, and I love their honesty when they said this, they said, if we waited until we paid our other bills before we wrote that check to the church, we might be tempted to not write it at all, or at the very least, we might be tempted to not give the full tithe. Now, you know what that was for them? That was giving as a matter of of priority. Because when Christ becomes the priority of your life, He becomes the priority of your finances. 
You know, several years ago, when, when, uh, when I'm old enough to say this, when, when technology began to change and you could do so much of your financial management automatically, I embraced that. I love, I love doing everything related to finances automatically. And so, you know, we, we pay some of our bills automatically, we make all of our savings automatic, and we make our giving automatic. Sandy and I do that. And I was listening to this couple in my home group talk about that uh, last week, and I realized that there's a good side and a bad side to making it automatic. The good side is that it happens every weekend, whether I'm here or not. The bad side is I never think about it. I never think on a week-to-week basis about our giving because we do it weekly. The only time I think about it, really, honestly, is once a year, if I get a pay increase, then I increase the amount of money that we give. And that's beyond that, it's just so automatic, I don't think about it. But listening to them talk made me remember those days in the past when you had to sit down and you had to write out that check. And I can remember, and some of you can probably say the same thing, I can remember writing out that check to the church and thinking to myself or feeling some tension in my heart and thinking to myself, can I really do this? But this is what it means to make giving a first priority, to, to, to give... Uh, from the very top, it's priority giving. You trust God in those matters. And that's what I'm challenging you to do. Right down next to number two. You give cheerfully. I'm going to challenge you to give cheerfully. Look at these words on the screen from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. Paul writes and says, Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, we talked specifically about this verse last week, but we focused on that phrase, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, because last week, one of the big things we talked about was having a plan for giving, in particular, having a plan for being generous as you manage your money. I told you the secret to being generous is managing your money with a plan that includes being generous. But let's think about that word cheerful for a moment, what it means to be a cheerful giver. I'm sure you know or you've heard before that the word cheerful in the original language of the New Testament comes from the Greek word hilaros, which we get the English word hilarious from. The bottom line is this. What we're being taught is that giving, our giving should be a joyful experience. We should find joy in giving, and there's lots of reasons why. I've just written down two that mean the most to me. First, there's the joy of knowing that I'm honoring God with obedience. The Bible commands us to be generous. The Bible commands us to give. And we can find joy anytime we are living in obedience to the will of God and the commands of God, the instruction of God. The second one is this, and this is a little bit more important, and this is kind of a long one, so we'll leave it up on the screen for a moment. Second, there's the joy of knowing that I am investing in eternity And knowing that one day when I experience my eternal reward, I'm going to see the tangible results of my investment. And that's what happens when you give to a ministry like Mount Pleasant Christian Church because we give so much of the money that we receive away to make a difference in the world both locally and globally. I've told you before that we manage the money here at the church on a fiscal year that begins on July the 1st and ends on June the 30th. And so the 2016-2017 fiscal year just ended not long ago, and now we're in the 2017-2018 fiscal year. I'm going to put a slide up on the screen so you can see uh, how much money we gave away in the 2016-2000 fiscal year. So the total amount was just short of $2 million to both local and global missions. And then you see the breakdown $1,155,391 to global missions, almost $350,000 to local missions, almost $44,000 to benevolence. That's just meeting needs of people in our church family and in this community. Uh, uh, Over $65,000 at the Impact Center, uh, almost $280,000 in food and clothing, over $100,000 in food from cash donations. 
here at the church. Now, yeah, that's something that should be celebrated. Somebody should clap, at least a couple of people. And, and I didn't generate those numbers. We didn't generate those numbers. They came from our audit firm who just completed an audit of our books, and that's what they gave to us as a breakdown there. Now, if you take the first three categories, if you just put aside the, the total amount there and you take the global missions, the local missions, and the benevolence, just those three categories alone represent a little over 22% of our, of our general fund income, just a little over 22%. That's a significant amount of money. I live in a neighborhood not too far from here, and um, there's, a, there's an older woman who used to live in my neighborhood, uh, and I'll just be real honest about it. She was nosy. She was just the neighborhood busybody. She would ride her bike around the neighborhood, and I don't want to get too specific, but every time I'd see her riding around, I'd, I'd hear the familiar music from a certain scene in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Please don't tell anybody I said that. Anyway... Well, one day, she, I live in a cul-de-sac, so she drove her bike down the cul-de-sac, and she circled the cul-de-sac a couple of times, and she was looking around, and then I was standing out in my yard, and she, drove, she rode over, and she, she stopped her bike, and she said to me, she pointed at a storage shed that one of my neighbors had put behind his house. She said, do you know if he got approval from the HOA to do that? And I said, well, I'm sorry, he didn't consult with me on his building decisions. I'm just assuming that he did. And then she looked at me. She said, you're the pastor from that big church down the street, aren't you? And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, what do you do with all that money? That was the next thing she said to me. Because, you know, people have crazy perceptions about large churches. What do you do with all that money? And I was so thankful to be able to tell her the truth was we gave a great deal of it away. And that gives me joy when I give, knowing that the monies that I give to this church make a difference in the lives of people every single day, locally and globally. In February, I'm going to go to India to visit our mission partner, Central India Christian Mission, Dr. Ajay Law. I haven't been there since 2008. And the reason why I'm going in February is to help dedicate a new wing on a hospital. Over the past two years, because of your commitment to generosity, we gave over and above what we normally give the Central India Christian Mission a little under $400,000, $390,000 to help build that hospital wing. And that makes a difference in the lives of people every day in India. We just built, bought a building in Old Southside, a neighborhood just south of downtown. And so we have the impact center on the back of our parking lot here where we give away food and clothing and we minister to people every week. And we're creating an impact center in the Old Southside neighborhood down there with a long-term goal of creating a church. We bought an old building that sits right on Meridian Street, and now we're going to have the expense of remodeling that building and repurposing it to do what we need it to do as an impact center in that neighborhood. There are lots of ways your dollars make a difference in the lives of people, and that makes giving joyful. Right down next to number three. I'm going to challenge you to give expectantly. I'm going to put some words up on the screen from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's verses 6 and then verses 10 and 11. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And then this is what he says about God. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, the Bible is very clear in its promise Listen to me, that when we're generous to God, God is generous to us. When we're generous toward God, God is generous toward us. 
Now, I'm not, having said that, I am not a believer. I've told you this before, and I'll say it many, many times. I'm not a believer in what's called the prosperity gospel, this belief that God wants everyone to be wealthy beyond their wildest imagination, and the key to being wealthy begins with just being willing to give. But I am a believer in giving expectantly because that's what the Bible teaches. And while God's blessing, God's generosity can come back to us in a variety of different ways, Sometimes it will come back to us financially, not always, but sometimes, and I'm sure there are people here who have experienced that. You've been generous to God financially, and God has brought a financial blessing of some kind into your life. But I want you to notice what Paul says about that. When Paul, when Paul talks about God being generous with, with us, look back at verse 11, 2 Corinthians 9, 11. After his instructions about sowing and reaping, when he says, if you sow generously, you'll reap generously, he says this, you will be made rich in every way so that, everyone say so that, so that you can be generous on every occasion. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Now, I don't know what you think of when you read that, but here's what my simple mind thinks of. God's money has a higher purpose than my affluence. So if I grow, as I grow in my income, and God blesses me that way. God's money has a higher purpose than just my affluence. And that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with being affluent. I've told you that before repeatedly. But our first responsibility is to be good stewards, whether we have a little or a lot. You'd be a good steward if you have a little, but you need to also be a good steward if you have a lot. And God's money has a higher purpose than our affluence alone. I don't believe that it's God's will for everyone to be wealthy beyond their wildest imagination, but I do believe that it's God's will for everyone to be generous. So when we give, we should give expectantly, knowing that God will bless us. And when He blesses us financially, we should give even more. That's what Paul is telling us. When He blesses us financially, we should give even more. Right down next to number four, we sh I'm going to challenge you to give excellently. I'm going to put a verse up from 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Paul says, and then this is, this is his continued commentary on these churches that gave so generously, gave so sacrificially in this offering for the church in Jerusalem. He said, but just as you excel in everything... In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and your love for us, see that you also, listen to this, excel in this grace of giving. Now, here's the question. How do you excel at any skill? It's a simple answer, by doing it over and over again, by practicing. And it might sound odd, but giving, in a sense, in a very real sense, is a skill. And the more you do it, the better you become at it. When we give, we learn about giving. When we give, we learn about God and His generosity and His faithfulness to His promises. When we give, we grow in our giving. That's been the case in my life, and I'm sure many of you would make the same testimony in your life as well. You know, in this church, we teach the pursuit of excellence in all different kinds of areas when it comes to the Christian life, in spiritual disciplines, in worship, in service, all different kinds of areas. Why wouldn't we want to teach the pursuit of excellence when it comes to giving? That's a big part of why we do these commitment cards uh, each and every year. Look at these words on the screen from Hebrews 10:24. The Hebrew writer says, "And let us consider how we may spur one another, one another on toward love and good deeds." We, as the church, should regularly explore ways to help one another excel in the grace of giving. That's why we talk about money once a year. That's why I give you this challenge once every year. Finally, number five, write down this: We need to give faithfully. I'm challenging you to give faithfully. I'm going to be really blunt and honest with you for just a minute. One of the biggest problems related to generosity in the local church, beyond the fact that a lot of people don't give at all, 
is that a lot of people who do give, give very sporadically. And it's that kind of sporadic giving that Paul wanted the Corinthian Christians to avoid when he wrote these words on the screen from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 2. He wrote and said, now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So this was obviously Paul's advice to churches in general. On the first day of each week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now, what we see in this instruction is that we need to have a plan for generosity. This is what I talked to you about last week. If the secret to being generous is managing your money with a plan that includes being generous, then this is the uh, nuts and bolts of it right here that Paul is talking about in this passage. We, 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 should, we should handle whatever wealth God has entrusted to us from a position of knowledge as good stewards and giving. You can make the case that giving should be the centerpiece of that plan. Generosity should be the centerpiece of that plan. Every year when we talk about money, we talk about this need for planning over and over again. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Here's an undeniable truth that I have discovered over the last 37 plus years of being a pastor. Unless people give systematically, I'm talking about faithfully and consistently, they very rarely give substantially. I know that there are some, always some exceptions to that, but it's the truth. And I know that people like to push back on that, and they say, well, listen, Pastor, I just want to give spontaneously. Listen, I want you to give spontaneously too, because there are times when we need to give spontaneously, when needs arise. Like we had the, the uh, offering jars out here recently, and I gave you the opportunity to make contributions that were going to go to uh, hurricane relief in Houston for Hurricane Harvey. There are times when needs come up when we give, sp we give spontaneously. I share those needs with you from time to time. But I'm telling you, unless people give with some level of systematic, faithful, consistent giving, they very rarely give substantially. Well, I'm out of time. And so I want you to look at this card for just a moment. I've got this card together, and I'm going to let you read it on your own. I'm just going to talk about four different kinds of commitments that you can make. And usually there are just three kinds of commitments, but I've added a fourth one this year. And I, I believe there's a place for everybody here, everyone who is a member, a longtime attender. The first box that you can check on this card is, I will begin or continue to give faithfully and consistently. Now look up here. These are for people who give sporadically. You notice there's no, there's no percentage or dollar amount or anything attached to that. It's just this fundamental commitment that I'm going to begin to give faithfully and consistently. The amount is between you and God. The bottom line is you're going to give faithfully and consistently. It's, if it, whether it's weekly or twice a month or monthly or whatever it works out for you in the way that you get paid, you're going to begin to give continually or you're going to, you're going to begin or going to continue to give faithfully and consistently. The second box is I'm going to begin or continue to give faithfully and consistently. And here's the, here's the addition, with the tithe as my generosity goal. We talked a lot about the tithe last week. If you weren't here, you ought to listen to that message. With the tithe as my generosity goal. The tithe is the giving of, a ten, of 10%. I told you last week that when my wife Sandy and I first started out, the tithe for us was a goal that we worked our way up to. And many of you probably fall into that same category right now. You give faithfully and consistently, but maybe you need to take your generosity to a next step and try to work your way to the giving of a tithe. The third box is I'm going to begin or continue to tithe as a measure of generosity. This is for you folks who already tithe. You're going to continue to do that. Or some of you who already give, and you know that you can take that next level, and you just need to make that commitment to give that 10%. And the final box is I'm going to begin or continue to make the tithe my starting point for generosity. 
This is for folks who give over and above the tithe. That, quite frankly, is the box that I'll check when this weekend is over because I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. That's what my wife Sandy and I have been committed to doing for a long, long time. And so the tithe is not your goal. It's your starting point when it comes to generosity. Now, I'm going to ask you to prayerfully fill this card out and drop it in the offering bag, knowing that many of you might not want to do that today. You might not be prepared to do that this weekend, and that's fine with me. You take this home with you, but you don't, don't leave it in your Bible or somewhere where it's hidden. I want you to put it somewhere where you can see it. I want you to take the time to pray about it, to talk about it, and make a commitment. Bring it back next week and drop it in the offering bag when we pass that offering bag in next weekend's service. Listen to me. Listen, look at these verses on the screen. This, these verses reflect God's economy, the way things work in God's kingdom when it comes to money. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25 says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. One man withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. And then the proverb writer says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. That promise is absolutely true. God is faithful to that promise, but the only way you'll discover that is by making some level of commitment to generosity. I want you to pray with me this morning. Thank you, Lord.